Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On The Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Now, here are your hosts for On The Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show, On The Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe McGranahan is here. Good morning, Mark. Good to see you, sir. His honor. And thank you. The Honorable would be fine. <laughs> thank you. You can take the robe off. He's the mayor of Shemokin Dam. He's a good conservative, natural-born listener, but he dismisses all common-sense ideas from uh, progressives outright, so that doesn't help anything. We're glad to say uh, Professor Matt Rosu, dean of the business school at uh, Susquehanna University, the Sigmund Wise Business School at Susquehanna University, is in today. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having us. We're Morning, not gonna, Matt. We're not going to hear quite as much from you today because you brought a fabulous guest. David Brown is here. If you love podcasts or you follow business or you follow sort of legends of success kind of business or uh, have monitored like uh, going down routes 11 and 15 why is the pizza hut not busy but the taco bell is <laughs> the howdy, man howdy it's great to be on the program the Thanks man so is here david brown yeah. uh, host of business wars podcast over 400 episodes of that you've done a ton of work for npr and a wide range of other folks but uh, business wars was is that the catapult that really just notched you up? I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, um, business, uh, when they called me up, and uh, I, once upon a time I used to host a program called Marketplace, which is still on the air, uh, and it's a pretty successful program. Um, but uh, I got a call from just out of the blue back in, I guess it must have been late 2017, and it was from a colleague from old Marketplace days. And I thought that that was in the rearview mirror. I was working in news primarily, and and uh, she said, hey, listen, we're starting a new business podcast. Would you be interested in, and I thought it was a one-off. I just thought this was like, okay, I'm going to be hosting a podcast. And at the time, I was I was working on some, uh, uh, some studies uh, at the University of Texas, and I said, well, listen, I, I'm finishing up my, my <laughs> stuff. I'm not sure I really have the time. And she said, well, we'll wait. And so they did. And we did our first podcast. It was uh, Netflix versus Blockbuster. We can talk about that. Well, in, uh, in, in her version, you just plain said no. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah that's, uh, I, I did. I did initially because I just didn't think that I had the time for it. And, but the wonderful thing about podcasting is that you don't have to all be in one place. You don't have to be around a table as we are right now. You, know, you can be in remote locations. You have a little bit more flexibility. You can record your tracks. You're not live as we are right now. So it's a, it's a whole different scene. I have to admit to you, though, once upon a time, uh, back earlier in my studies, I didn't think podcasting was ever going to be a thing. I mean, I just figured that it was sort of a, a lot of hype built up around the iPod. Uh, so that shows you <laughs> how much I know about business. <laughs> well, brag about business wars. What are you up to now? I'm going to ask you to, to do something you don't really love doing, and that's just talk about how successful it is. Well, it, it has been, it's been more successful than I ever dreamed it would be. Uh, it is, uh, we're now about 400 episodes in, almost 400 episodes in, and that's since uh, launching in 2018. 
And of course, we have um, we, as it turns out, just a couple of weeks ago, they're the sort of the Oscars for for podcasts. They're called the uh, Ambies, and um, we for, uh, become the first podcast uh, to win two years straight uh, in any category. We're best business podcast. Um, this feels really awkward just talking like this, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but uh, you asked. Uh, we have a, a lot of listeners, and it's uh, you know the coming up with the metrics for this as you as you know in radio, Joe. I mean, it, it took a long time before you got the Nielsen ratings and all of that, and they're still coming up with the metrics. But we know that we reach millions of people with our uh, uh, series, and a lot of it turns on the fact that people really do feel passionately about certain brands. You know, there are Mac people, there are PC people, you know, that gives you a sense of it. There are Nike people, there are Adidas people. Um, And what we try to do, and I have to say, since I grew up as a journalist, I've been in news for, well, since 1980, um, I come at business, I don't have a business degree. I come at this as more of a historian. You know, uh, what is the, what's the cliche? They say that news is the first draft of history. So that's how I think about business. But I got, I, I really got interested in business as a kid. I mean, as a little kid, I fell in love with logos like the Volkswagen logo <laughs> or the Allstate logo. You know what I'm talking about? And and I remember as a little kid going to the encyclopedia, and it was actually a kid's encyclopedia, Childcraft. Maybe some of your listeners remember Childcraft. Well, my parents, bless their hearts, they really in, they invested in this encyclopedia, and I kept going back to this one thing. You know how we learn. It was number seven in that series. I remember it vividly, and matching up the logos with the businesses. And that led to an interest in the stories behind these logos. And as it happens, serendipity being what it is, here I am now with, you know, Business Wars. We we published a book, The Art of Business Wars, back in 2021. It's been uh, uh, successful as well. And so um, I can't believe it. I mean, really, I could not have designed a situation that I feel happier in. And I never thought that podcasting would be as fun as it is. But it's glorious to hear from our listeners and hear how they think about it. What types of of, um, of business issues do you cover on the podcast? Well, we don't cover business issues as, I mean, for instance, I, I love listening to Bloomberg and some of these other, you know, um, uh, business uh, networks, that sort of thing. And I, I, you know, and I've been following things like the Silicon Valley Bank, you know, implosion and what's happening on Capitol Hill and all that and what's going on with Credit Suisse and UBS. So I'm, I'm really interested in business news. But uh, what we do in Business Wars is we try to tell the stories behind some of these iconic clashes of the titans. And quite often, uh, what we look for when we're trying to come up with these clashes are brands that people will recognize, you know. Um, We heard, I heard from a woman who lived in Kentucky the other day, and uh, she sent me the loveliest email, and she said, uh, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Uh, I'm divorced from my husband 
husband. And I was the sole breadwinner, always been the sole breadwinner in, our, in my family. And when I'm with my daughters, we listen to Business Wars. And we, when we're done, we talk about like the cultures within these two companies and what made one successful and the other fail. And we often think about like we'll go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and we'll go to McDonald's and we'll talk about, okay, which is better? And which company would you rather work for? And she said, it's been a wonderful bonding experience for me and my kids. And she says, it also gives them an appreciation for what I do, the fact that I'm employed by a company and that I have to work for a living, and this is, this is, the re- this is real life, you know. And um, I just, I found that touching, and I find that talking about these stories, there's a certain humanity that comes out that I think resonates with a lot of listeners. Well, yeah, I can, about every third Business Wars episode mentions McDonald's. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> like you, you can compete, you can the start up, arches. right, you can do, you can become Google, you can do anything you want, as long as you compare yourself to McDonald's as the benchmark. Is McDonald's the most successful business competitor? Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think that an argument can be made. Now, I suppose it depends on the metrics, right? But I think that because it's so well known and because it's been a part of everyone's life, people can relate to it, you know, in a, in a major way. Apple is a bit that way, too, you know, because we've seen the sort of ebbs and flows and, and the, the, the rise, fall, and then again the rise of Apple. And that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating story unto itself. Look at all the changes that have happened in in the service industries. For example, now I'm an employee of my local Walmart, and I'm becoming an employee of my McDonald's because when I walk in, there's a kiosk there, and they expect me to place my order in the computer and not actually deal with a human being. Well, yeah, (laughs) right. A lot of that cost shifting is going to us, I mean, when you get right down to it. But the difference is, though, they now bring me my food at the table. (laughs) They didn't do that before. What do you think about that (laughs) trade-off? Uh, I don't think it's a good trade-off. You know, I, I guess it, it, the one thing it does do is it clears the counter for people to come in and do business. But, it, uh, you know, because it gets me away from there. I'm not standing there waiting for the bag or waiting for the tray. But, you know, I, I have so many friends who post things on Facebook and other places saying, don't use these self-checkouts. And one of my friends posted a thing that said he, he got thrown out of the break room at, uh, at Walmart. They asked him why he was there. And he said, well, apparently I'm a team member. I just used your uh, checked out my own. My own, uh, my own order. That's that's funny. You Joe know, but, hates change. But no, okay. but seriously, are these changes good? We're, we're becoming more depersonalized, if you will. It used to be businesses were built on personality. I'd walk in there, I'd know the, I know the waitress, I'd know the person behind the counter. You know, I think it depends on your perspective. To be totally honest with you, I think that if you talk to a lot of CEOs of some of these major companies, they'll say, "Sure, if we don't keep up with the competition, we can't. You know, if we're not competitive, we'll lose our advantage." And that means even more people will lose their jobs. So there's that perspective. If you're an employee, as you were just talking about, Joe, I mean, I think that uh, these are grim times. Uh, and I think that they're going to become even more grim. But Matt, what, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I do. I, I'll disagree with you on this one, Joe. In terms of 
the, I guess the question is whether these entities are designed to create jobs or deliver to the customers efficiently. Now, if the cus enough customers demand, look, I want somebody to be at the counter to take my order, you think there should be a market for that. But boy, I worked at a Hardee's for a year and a half doing that, and I never got the sense that people were just so excited mm -hmm. to give me <laughs> their order at, at that point in time. Um, the Maybe key, it was your attitude, Matt. The, <laughs> could have been. They whipped me into shape there. But the, the kiosks are interesting in terms of what will happen. I'm very curious about when... Now, when you place your order, that's one thing, but say at a grocery store, when they just put a little RFID reader right into the mm -hmm. each pack, so you don't even have to go through and scan anymore. You go through and be like, oh, okay, you've got two pounds of meat, four boxes of cereals, uh, four boxes of cereals, some milk, some, you know, whatever else you're buying. Here's the total. Put your credit card and you just walk out and it does it like that. And that technology is available. That yeah. will be interesting to see when that happens. Uh, but, but, but then the labor will shift because you'll have people who have to monitor to make sure nobody's trying right. to steal. You'll have to have somebody there to help. So I, I don't know that it will take away jobs. I mean, our unemployment rate's super low, but right. it will change the types of jobs that are available. Well, so. yeah, and now at Walmart, they have somebody standing at the door on the, your way out who wants to check your receipt. Mm. I mean, uh, one of my friends said that he always just waves the receipt and walks out the door because he said, I already did your job for you checking out. I'm not going <laughs> to have, I'm not going to verify Jeez. what you didn't do. There you go. So get your <laughs> surveyors to ask him, him questions. He hates this, this kind of change. Who's the best competitor of all? Who is superlative Boy, at, at understanding the In competition? What? Any field. The best of all. It isn't Ray Kroc because he didn't have a ton of competitors at the time. He just thought big and that, and that worked. The folks who founded Taco Bell, maybe it's them. Was it Bell was his name? Uh, yeah, but of course he was long gone by the time the Taco Bell started its major national okay. expansion. Uh, I believe PepsiCo okay. uh, owns Taco Bell these days. I think, you know, I'd be hard pressed to give a uh, to give a satisfactory answer. It's a very lawyerly uh, answer there. I know, but. I, what comes to mind, and I keep coming back to it, is Apple, um, because they pivoted and reinvented themselves in ways that were, um, I think, really profoundly culturally um, significant. And uh, even so, even so, you know, um, the PC hasn't disappeared, you know. So I, I think that uh, what Apple has done in making that shift, and I mean, who who doesn't have an iPhone, right? Uh, it's become a, a global institution. And so, but I will say this, I don't know where they go from here. And that's always been the question for Apple, always. You know, where do we go from this next thing? And Steve Jobs was such a visionary, such a visionary. You know, I think he famously uh, was quoted as saying, you know, that he wanted to, he wanted to um, get something out there that the masses needed before they knew that they needed it, right? And what is that next thing? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so I think that the challenges for Apple right now are, are pretty robust. Uh, Matt, what do, you, what would you, what do you think of when you when you think of? A I had no idea. Company? I had in terms of the most successful. The most successful. I literally have no idea. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's such a tough question to answer. And well, Steve Jobs. I mean, he's he, he would be the person that personifies this this right. idea of being ahead. But, but what, look, stop and think for a minute. What are they doing? They're actually just enhancing the current product line year after year, trying to put a better 
better camera in, trying to give you more yeah. memory. They're not really innovating anything at the moment, are they? Well, that's the question for the entire so, uh, smartphone industry. It's like, okay, well, uh, the how much further can you go with the phone technology? Not a whole lot. All right, so how much further can you go with cameras? That's where everyone's focused now, uh, no pun intended. But then, <laughs> where where do you go from there with a smartphone? And, and we now, you know, to be honest, I think very few people saw the iPhone creating the app market as we have now seen it. And from the app market, you get Uber. That's a whole other sector, right? Okay. So you think about these ripple effects. Is there anything else out there that the smartphone provides? I don't know, and if I did, maybe I'd be working for Apple. Later. <laughs> yeah, but well. uh, you know, uh, so that's I think that's a real challenge. Medicine for the and the smartwatch. It's right there. Yeah, well, there. You know, my the, watch right. tells me so much about. You have my an Apple Watch on there? Uh, no, this is a, a Maze Fit. It's called okay. smartwatch. Oh, yeah, I've seen those. Different my daughter competitor. has one of those, and it's a and it's a goodie. Yeah, very up up and coming. But at the same time, okay, so we we Steve Jobs might be at the top, or Apple might be at the top. To me, the least, the most misunderstood and the least able to capitalize on their greatness is Microsoft. Mm -hmm. They have done fabulous things. And if you go to the average person in this office say, what does Microsoft do? Uh, word, which is what, 0.01% of their work right now? But watch this space. AI is the next. Yeah. That's the next They'll thing. be at the front. Well, it's a question who will be at the front right now. Uh, you know, I think that there are a lot of people, uh, chat GPT, uh, Apple's got its own thing going on, Google has got its own thing going on. I don't know if anyone saw that story in the New York Times where the Microsoft um, artificial intelligence. Did you guys see this? This was crazy. Where it started to talk back. Yeah, it started yeah. to oh, talk yes, back yes, yes. to this to this guy. And and copped an attitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and in fact said, uh, you know, uh, started talking personally with this guy like, you know, you don't love your wife, you love me, you know. It's just <laughs> So the, uh, I I think this the I think there may be a a fear factor to overcome before it becomes, you know, universally embraced and people really start dreaming big about the practical Applications, but they've done some smart things. For example, it used to be Microsoft Office was very, very expensive. Right now, what ninety-five bucks a year, and you get all of them, mm -hmm. and then it gets upgraded every time there's an upgrade. Yeah. So I think that that their marketing concept, I think, is improved. Uh, yeah. They they actually drove mm -hmm. IBM out of the business. I mean, there and Lotus out of the business. Well, that's it's funny you should mention IBM because when I think of when I think of companies that were once institutions like Microsoft, right? I mean, I think of IBM in the same way. And yet, IBM was slow to the PC market because it had become so big, so huge, they couldn't pivot. They knew, you know, an argument could be made, given the history of IBM, that we were, we, by I mean the United States, the, the world, was delayed in the digital revolution by some six years because IBM couldn't pivot fast enough. That by 1979 or so, they had to create a skunk works just so that they could get past the internal bureaucracy of IBM. Right, and that was how they ultimately came out with a PC. But this has huge implications beyond, because ultimately, that Skunk Works realized that they couldn't enter the PC world without doing what Apple Computer was doing, and that is going to third-party suppliers. And so the first IBM PC was unlike any other IBM computer before, because it had 90 percent 
third-party products, right? IBM was used to building its own internal structures and making it bulletproof. And if you wanted to be part of IBM, you had to license from IBM. The Their, their marketplace was big corporations where you'd install mainframes. They sold these things for enormous sums of money. They couldn't imagine that personal computers would be anything more than a hobbyist's play toy, right? And that's why they had to build the skunk works. They had to do everything sort of on the down low because the the bigwigs could not see that PC revolution coming. Well, look at Radio Shack. They once led the industry yeah. at home computing. Yeah, with the absolutely. TRS-80 Model oh, 3. Oh, yeah. yeah, Tandy, absolutely. And they couldn't, they didn't want to adapt. They thought they were going to win once IBM did start the PC. Mm-hmm. Radio Shack was slow to follow, and I think that was part well, of their problem. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The, the chronology is a little different, because I know that that's the way a lot of people remember it. But the chronology actually is Tandy or a Radio Shack, was earlier to the market than IBM. Almost everyone that you can think of was with first to the, with the personal computer. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, with a personal computer. And, and in fact, at, at one point, that Skunk Works and IBM was trying to figure out how do we compete against the, uh, the Radio Shacks and the Compacts and uh, the Ataris even, right. you know, of this world. And uh, so they thought very seriously about basically purchasing another company, it would have been a first for IBM, purchasing another computer company, maybe Radio Shack's computer company, and bringing it in-house so that they could just get into the space. They ultimately decided not to do that. It was against IBM's culture. But uh, you're quite right. Uh, Radio Shack, once upon a time, was was a powerhouse. But that was at a time when the idea of the PC was very much a small home computer <laughs> hobbyist kind of thing, you know. Did you have a... Did you I have did. A, I had a Model 3 with Tris DOS and two 160K drives. Wow. <laughs> wow. My dad used to have one, and he used as his uh, hard, uh, hard drive, he used as his memory a little cassette player. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. That? That, that was the start. That yeah. was the first thing they did. Right. right. We're going to take it. I was just going to say, I think IBM, though, <laughs> when they finally did launch their PC, they had a good marketing program because they they, they really kind of dominated the conversation. They did. They absolutely did. Well, that was our first computers in this building, correct, at no, that time? No, the first was the IB, uh, the TRS-80 Model 3 was the first one, <laughs> then the Model 4. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we slowly computerized here. All right, we're going to take Not a quick slowly. We break. We one of the industry leaders. We got a biographer here. He's written uh, biographies of a number of individuals. Uh, uh, let's see, Willie Nelson and Janis Joplin, to name a few. He's been on NPR. I know you heard him there. Marketplace was was one of the places he started. He's a multiple award winner in every field he touches, and uh, maybe best known today for Business Wars, the podcast and the book uh, Business Wars, uh, that is out, The Art of Business Wars. David Brown is in our studio. We're going to continue this conversation. We'll be right back. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing and can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. 
If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. David Brown earned his Ph.D. in journalism from the University of Texas at Austin, picked up an accent while he was visiting. He has his uh, <laughs> law degree from Washington and Lee University School of Law. He's been on NPR, and, uh, boy, he's just uh, done a ton of things. Let's let's talk about business competition. We'll stay on this, but I want to get into some of your journalism uh, visitations, especially immigration, but before you go, and you're going to stay a little after 9 o'clock. What in the hell is wrong with te- Tesla? They should be the apple of the world, and they're this yeah. curmudgeon asterisk. Well, you know, I I am from Texas, um, but I, I'll and of course, as you know, uh, now uh, Elon Musk's enterprises are based in Texas, and in fact, they're gonna they're gonna start their own corporate town just outside of Austin. So, I mean, so I think uh, Elon Musk has scattered. He, he is in too, too many things, one okay. could make the argument. We're about to do an update of our recent uh, series, Tesla versus Detroit. We did that. And, um, and I, I have to say that credit where credit is due, no matter what you think of Elon Musk, uh, he almost single-handedly, he almost single-handedly revolutionized the way that we think about the auto industry. And right now, those high prices you're seeing at the car dealerships and everything, it's not just chips, folks. It's their pivot. It's the big car companies' pivot to EVs. And a lot of uncertainty right now about whether EVs are actually going to be viable uh, 10 years from now, as a lot of people are projecting. So, I don't know. I uh, I think a lot of people scratching their heads about the cyber truck you know where is this pr- long promised <laughs> cyber truck where is it you know i think i think elon musk is and once you start to buy twitters i mean you know did he on. take orders for the truck or just <laughs> talk about it yeah, we, we talk about the electric grid and the pot potential for it to yeah. fail and yet we're telling people to buy electric vehicles and charge them up all night Joe McGranahan is one of our good co-hosts. David Brown is here from Business Wars. And Professor Matt Rosu of Susquehanna University. I'm Mark Lawrence. And Lynn Hulls, our fabulous producer. We're going to continue this discussion for another 10 minutes after the top of the hour. we got CBS News coming up. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Our guests in the studio, David Brown is here from Business Wars, uh, author of The Art of Business Wars that came out a couple of years ago, probably sold a million copies or so by now. And there's a copy on the table. I don't know what's going to happen to it. I never ask for anything from our guests, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Oh, brother, there's a hint if I ever heard but one. You, you're, you're going to be, uh, he's going to be talking to students today and then yep. a public talk tonight. Yes, uh, talking, uh, got David Hart at work 
today, talking to a couple different classes. And then tonight, there's a lecture that's actually open to the public in Isaac's Auditorium on the campus of Susquehanna University, 7 p.m. for anybody who would come, like to come and learn lessons from business wars. It should be a fascinating talk. If you've enjoyed this discussion, hope you'll consider joining us tonight. All right, biographer Towns Van Zant. Oh a, yeah, Towns Van Zant. For those who don't know. Um, Steve Earle, one of the great uh, uh, sort of, I guess you could call him alternative country artists, once said he would stand on Bob Dylan's coffee table in his coffee boots and say that Towns Van Zandt was the greatest songwriter ever. And I think that says a lot. Towns Van Zandt was an incredible songwriter, and his story is truly tragic. Um, we lost one of the greatest American songwriters since, I would argue, since Cole Porter. Um, with the loss of Towns Van Zandt. I think if you don't know that name, Towns Van Zandt, one of my greatest gifts would be for you to discover Towns Van Zandt. He is truly a remarkable songwriter. Songwriter. Yeah. Uh, you've covered what the... What did he write? Anything we would Poncho know? and Lefty is probably his fa- most famous, but If I Needed You, which is, you know, another... It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a wedding classic. Um, he's written a lot of songs that people know and have been re-recorded uh, over the years. Right. Um, you've been a reporter at the U.S. Southern Border covering immigration. For whom were you reporting at that moment? Uh, it would have been uh, the Texas Standard and for uh, public radio. And you've been back in the past couple of years, so you know that the, everything's kind of ramped up there. Uh, it, if folks don't know what's happening there, that's so significantly different today than it was five years ago or ten right, years right. ago. Right. There has, uh, we, are, we have never seen uh, the numbers of people crossing the borders um, uh, or trying to cross the borders uh, uh, illegally for the most part. Um, we've never seen anything like it. It is truly historic, the migration from s- primarily Central America. And this has created an unprecedented problem for border states. It has turned almost all states, including those in the north, into border states, essentially. Um, It has created tensions between the U.S. and Canada, in fact, because there are so many people trying to get into Canada right now that, I mean, it it is truly unprecedented. The big issue for, well, in Texas, it's a complicated issue because of the politics surrounding it, but also because of the fact that the economy, um, for better and for worse, a lot of it rests on illegal immigration. It is 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 just a fact of life, a fact of business life. Today, yeah. today, yeah, absolutely. You know, you think back to the days of of Rick Perry. Uh, that may be a name that a lot of your listeners re- remember. He was the longest serving governor in Texas history, and ran for president. I think it was uh, back in uh, 2012, maybe something like that. And. Uh, he was very soft on immigration because he knew that the business community depended on that flow of labor. Um, now, Texas has a, an incredibly vibrant economy, and it's growing faster than I believe any other state right now. And with that growth, there is the need for diversification in labor. And um, we're now seeing a lot more manufacturing uh, in the United States. Well, where are those? Who are gonna, who's going to fill those jobs when you can't get enough labor to to run your restaurant? Or you know, so it's a very complicated issue. But the numbers alone are causing 
you know, Democratic mayors in some cities to be critical of the Biden administration's policies. Uh, the Biden administration has started to roll back its policies. You know, early on, they tried to move away from the Trump administration when it came to their immigration policies. Now the Biden administration is looking back at what the Trump administration did. They're reopening detention centers for families. This is causing a lot of consternation among uh, immigration advocacy groups. They're uh, very concerned about the humanitarian issues. And as we heard just the other day with that fire in Ciudad Juarez, which is on the other side of El Paso, um, it's, it's a deadly situation and it's a humanitarian crisis. And to be honest, I don't know, Mark, I don't know where this goes if parties either can't agree or we can't get past the, 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 bipart- the, the lack of bipartisanship. I don't know how this problem is solved. Let me ask you this question. If you had to choose just from a policy standpoint, Joe Biden or Donald Trump, where would you go? I'm not, I wouldn't go. And I'll tell you why. Right now, we're really frustrated by the state of journalism. I'm a journalist. Okay, I don't. I want to tell you the facts, but I want to use in journalism the discipline of the craft of journalism by telling you the facts and letting you make up your mind. I don't want to tell you whether, uh, you know, I prefer Biden or, or you know, well, just I, the policies. The policies. I. I. What I would say is uh, that some policies seem to be working. Other policies don't. Um, and. To the extent that we're seeing a retrenchment of um, uh, more liberal policies when it comes to immigration, uh, I think you can make of that what you will. Anything to add to any of our discussions that we have to talk about today? Again, what time at Isaacs Hall? 7 p.m., Isaacs Auditorium, the campus of Susquehanna University. David, anything to add additionally? I'd just love to see a lot of folks there. It'd be be a lot of fun to get to meet you, and uh, uh, I thank you so much for having us on the program. Business Wars, if you haven't listened to it on the podcast platforms, Download them and listen. They're just fascinating stuff. You will never drink a Coke the same way. You will never. <laughs> you will never. You'll never see Barbie the same way either. You know, you'll you'll never eat at Pizza Hut or go to Domino's well, the same always, way. We always credit Matt with bringing us the best guests, and he's upheld that tradition today. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, I even put that right in the preamble to the to the show. We'll have to thank Matt for another great guest. <laughs> no, so thanks. very thanks much for having us on. Thanks thank so you much. for coming. You, yeah, you'll never drive down routes 11 and 15 the same way if you listen to these because every store is a franchise down there, and they're all big, big, big competitors. David Brown, uh, podcast Business Wars author, The Art of Business Wars at SU Today Isaacs Auditorium at uh, 7 o'clock. We'll be back with some news headlines and open phones on WKOK's On The Mark. We are sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult... Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of 
your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Out of auto repair. All right, welcome back. We open up the phones, 570-743-9565. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com or text us at 70236. We just said goodbye to David Brown of Business Wars fame, although he's done a hundred other things, but uh, that's the thing that really propels him. Plus, he uh, is a real a, renaissance man. He has a quite a, quite a resume. Right, and uh, listen to the Business Wars podcast. You'll never drink a Pepsi the same way again. On the Mark, sponsored by the Sun. Motor Company, 570-743-9565. You can email us at onthemark at Text us at 70236. Include the keyword OTM. Another damaging fire in our area, this time in Cold Township, Northumberland County. Uh, Northumberland County Communication tells us volunteers called to the 800 block of Chestnut Street around 8.30 p.m. last night. Uh, they did not monitor any reports of any injuries. Volunteers responded from Cold Township. Ralpho Township, Shimokin, and Stonington. Uh, believe it or don't, uh, we don't know if we'll have a recession or not, but the State Department of Labor and Industry says they are ready. Department has been adding staff to its unemployment compensation system in anticipation of an increase in UC claims as the economy weakens. It's just inevitable that there's going to be a downturn. Whether it's a recession or not, there certainly is going to be increased unemployment as time goes on. What I don't want to do is match that additional influx of unemployment claims with a backlog of claims. So this plan will get us to the point where we can answer calls in real time. Walker hopes the department can clear the backlog of claims, which began with the coronavirus pandemic by the end of the summer. Mark Sims, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Dozens of beagles overran the state capitol yesterday. WHTM reporting as part of a movement to prevent testing of medicines and other products on dogs and cats. In 2022, nearly 4,000 beagles were rescued from a facility in Virginia where they were being bred for experimentation. Fifty of those beagles ended up at the Adams County SPCA and have since been adopted, Joe, so you can't have one. Pennsylvania Humane Society says 2,800 dogs and 1,600 cats are used for testing in Pennsylvania every year. And if you work from home, you have the right to be paranoid. The boss is spying on you. They surveyed a 1,000 big companies and found a third of remote employers are watching you work from home, either on a video feed or monitoring the sound from your office or wherever you keep your electronic device. Most companies require their remote employees to be hooked up to some monitoring software. 75% of bosses say they caught people goofing off. Uh, Almost all of the bosses who monitor at home say the software has boosted productivity or at least uh, sales of those gadgets (laughs) to monitor your mouse movements while you are enjoying work at home. Isaac's Auditorium is on the Susquehanna University campus, 7 p.m. tonight. David Brown will be speaking there tonight. Fascinating guest. Joe, wouldn't you agree? You like history. Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> if, if you didn't go to bed at 6.30, you probably could go over there tonight. <laughs> so, well, there's nothing well, wrong with going to bed early. Business, you know, business is fascinating. Uh, I think the guy who takes, a, takes it to that, that seriously and studies it in that depth, it's, it's fascinating to hear him talk about it. 
Yeah, I could ask him a thousand questions. I just think it's so, it's so interesting. It's like listening to the Legends of Success show on Sunday here. You get into the nuances of how people competed, and you find out about their failures. You know, the uh, McDonald brothers, when they started out, couldn't ha- couldn't come up with a success because they sold hamburgers and hot dogs and things, just a normal restaurant. No, actually, they did. They were That's how they were. Ta- Ray Kroc was attracted to them because he sold milkshake machines. Uh-huh. And all there of a sudden, go. these McDonald's... McDonald's brothers started ordering like 20 and 30 milkshake machines, and he wanted to know what it was they were doing that caused so many milk machine, milkshake machines to be mm-hmm. sold. So he went there, saw it, and talked to them about franchising it. He, he was smart enough to realize these guys had hit on something. Right. So, yeah, and other people who uh, tried to compete with McDonald's, their successes and failures, what they did, how they got things, uh, how, they, how McDonald's set the pace for fast food, to have a hamburger ready when you're ready. And um, that uh, set the pace for things like Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and and all a lot of the other franchises and Domino's, you know, got yeah, into the market. It was a novel trend when they. I can remember the first McDonald's I ever went to was in Harrisburg in 1962, I think it was that it opened. And you know, well, 15 cent it was 15 cent hamburgers, I think it was, and French fries were like seven cents or something like that. The prices have gone up a little bit since then, but the theory is the same. <laughs> All right. We would invite you to comment if you wish about David Brown, or you can... Uh, you know what I would like to talk to him about? Yep. Brand extension, which I find fascinating. You know, it's not just... You go to buy M&Ms today. You don't just buy M&Ms. There's M&Ms with peanut butter in. Mm-hmm. There's M&Ms with uh, white chocolate. There's M&Ms with the crispy centers. There's peanut M&Ms. You mm-hmm. know, so, so many times I've gone to the store where my wife says to me, get something. And I come home, and she says, why did you get this? It has this or that in it. And I thought, oh, gee, I didn't know that. I just thought they were all the same thing. Right. Even something like... Uh, like uh, Oreos? Oh, I was going to say Oreo cookies. You had double stuff, stuff. There's other stuff in between. With peanut butter stuff, with peppermint <laughs> with peanut, peanut butter, butter stuff. <laughs> you know, so the shelves are just crammed full of brand extensions. And I, d- I don't know whether that uh, that's a good thing or a bad thing. It, it drives me nuts, I can tell you that. Well, and he talks about how Pixar def- you know, competed with DreamWorks and how they really uh, beat them soundly on, on most endeavors by making sure that all of the movies that came out were available on... Uh, also, there were, there were products associated with that. There were Skittles that had a Pixar theme, you know, that had a Toy Story theme. Right. That either Pizza Hut or McDonald's had a Toy Story theme at the same time. That there would be a TV show, the making of Toy Story, that they would pay to have made and then offer free to whichever network wanted to show it. So they would make sure that they were doing multiple things to make sure that Toy Story was top of the mind to a lot well, of people. And, and speaking of toys, there there was a big movement back in the 50s, early 60s, to market cereals by putting toys or things inside, mm. or things you could send away for. I mean, there was an old cereal called Pep that Kellogg's made, and they offered a sundial wristwatch oh, that you could put on. <laughs> And, hey, gang, it's going to be great. You take it out and you tell you meet people. You put the pointer due north. Well, what if a kid doesn't know where due north is? Well, you, you have know? to carry a compass and the watch. But that, and they had, uh, during World War II, they had badges of uh, uh, military insignias that you could put on your. So, I mean, there were all sorts of things done to market products, which I think is fascinating, really. All right. We invite folks to call in if you well, wish one to. One of our listeners wants to know where uh, what building Isaac's Auditorium is in. Do you know? Uh, Isaac's is in the. Uh, Cunningham Center, the Cunningham Center, okay. I believe. Let me let me look it up. But uh, I, I think it's in the Cunningham Center because the. Um, 
Yeah. See if I can find it. <laughs> well, we can do this during a commercial break, but uh, um, but but yet we're not. So anyway, so uh, yeah, Isaac's Auditory, the campus center on campus. You're still going to have to park in the parking lot that's associated with the. Uh, uh, Weber Chapel Auditorium because that's the place where folks, um, you know, park there. So it's in Cybert Hall. Oh, it's in Cybert Hall. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's just one of the smaller auditoriums in inside. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, Cybert Hall is one of those rows of businesses on the quad between Weber Chapel and uh, the gymnasium. What's the name of the gym there? Anyway, so it's it's, it's it's between them. No, no <laughs> that, I don't that's the old one. Now I meant the new one. Oh, uh, named after the ophthalmologist. <laughs> but anyway, oh yeah, uh, I know. But it's in that row of buildings. Applebaum Hall is there. Cybert Hall is there. So it's the first one. If you're going uphill, so uh, check it out, folks. It should be very interesting, and that's David Brown tonight. All right. He also talked about immigration. Interesting idea. This idea that if we're going to solve this border crisis, it's going to take a bipartisan effort, and that President Biden is easing up on some of his, you know, no crisis fixing policies, and is going back to some of the President Trump's policies to try to solve that. So that's uh, quite interesting. That there's a, uh, you know, I think he recognizes if. The word gets out before the next election. He's not going to get reelected. If you have what one of our listeners yesterday said, it's 15 million people now came over the border illegally during the Biden administration. And uh, as much as uh, you know, David said business needs illegal immigrants to continue, uh, we're certainly well past the point of uh, sustaining businesses and into um, you know just a tremendous and ultra extremely costly influx crisis level uh, issue in our world. World now. So, all right, 1 800 795 is our telephone number. You can email us at on the mark at WKOK.com or you can text us at 70236. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to weigh in on anything that he said or maybe something new. Uh, issues that are in the news uh, lately uh, the school shooting in Nashville. I uh, talked about the individual uh, did that, was received receiving some sort of uh, psychiatric treatment or mental health treatment of some kind. I'm not sure how extensive that was. Fascinating that CBS is still not saying that the shooter was transgender. Individual, right. Well, it came from the police chief, but uh, what is the definitive word on on this? I mean, have they they released the fact that they know that this individual was born a male and transitioned to female? Is that what we... Or that she was born born female female and uh, was in the process or had done some elements of uh, transitioning to male and had on uh, hit her LinkedIn. She still had the name Audrey, but LinkedIn said her pro- personal pronouns were he and him. Purchased the guns legally. Well, that's true. But her true, parents but didn't want her to have guns. There's so. a pickle there, and that's that uh, if she's receiving psychiatric treatment, which includes medicine, psychiatric medicines, then you cannot buy a gun. So... We'll have to see if, you know, as time goes on and they investigate that, was there a violation? Was she 100% legal when those guns were purchased? So I think that's a good question. Uh, But she was completely unknown to the authorities. I mean, she had no prior history. There's absolutely no way you could determine that this person, number one, shouldn't have had a gun. No red flag. So red flag law wouldn't have helped. You know, so banning the guns. You and I talked yesterday about banning ammunition. Maybe that's a reasonable thing to do. Licensing. Yeah, licensing ammunition. Eric, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. 
Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a while. I apologize. I've been uh, just got done with some surgery, and uh, oh, I hope very, serious. Very, very grateful for the uh, wonderful healthcare system we have in the valley, and we are truly blessed to have this beautiful rural area. But you know, world class healthcare here, and I'll say that again. Uh, I'm very appreciative of that. Well, I'm glad you um, survived. Bless you, yeah. have a pension. Unfortunately for you guys, I'm uh, I'm off my feet for four weeks, so I'll probably be talking quite frequently once I get back oh, on my feet. So, man. Uh, but uh, I miss, I apologize, I was at a, a follow-up appointment yesterday, so I tried to tune in at 8.30. You guys had a, a, a regular guest on. Um, so the school shooting. Um, and I'm sure uh, Stan probably going to call in or has with his, his plank of, you know, guns all the time, guns, 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 guns. Um, I, I'm a gun owner. I do not own any uh, semi-automatic or any assault-style rifles. I do have uh, some World War II uh, relics. Um, I'm a proud gun owner. I believe in the Constitution of the United States, but I am advocating that we put the lives of our children and young people above just to be able to have these, uh, these assault-style weapons. And yes, that person could have went in there with a handgun and probably killed as many. But the fact of the matter is that was, unlike Uvalde, that was a locked down, well-protected school. I saw this morning on ABC, it showed the body cam of those, those uh, heroic, I'm saying heroic, people running in there. Police officers, they, they were police those, officers. Those doors, yes, exactly. As soon as they breached those doors, wailing sirens went off. So there, there is was tremendous security at that school, and still it didn't prevent someone who is obviously trouble. Now, you guys are falling into a trap, aren't you? Oh, yes. she's she she's transgender. That's the answer. It's not. It's not being transgender doesn't make you insane. Neither okay, does being a, neither does being a conservative. Neither does being a conservative. Whether it was a male or female, and everyone, oh, this this is the biggest female shooting, you know, by a perpetrator. Listen. The common denominator is the assault style weapons. I don't buy that. You don't buy what? First of all, we've had the argument that I'm told they're not assault weapons. Is that right, Mark? They are not an assault weapon. Well, assault weapons are misnomer. They're you know some sort of a semi-automatic right. rifle. In 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 the state of Pennsylvania, I think the state of Tennessee. What function do they serve except for self-defense? Oh, target shooting, uh, collecting, uh, mass shooting, fun, so, some limited hunting capabilities, but uh, target shooting, collecting, no. fun, protection, protecting no. your home, protecting yourself. Other than that, there's no use. But I mean, how is taking their? How are we going to accomplish what you want done? If we said we we're not done, no, wait a second. Let me let me let me finish. Let me let me finish. Would you let me finish? If we take away all the guns people have now, that might solve the problem. But if all we do is stop the sale of them, which is what President Biden is is talking about doing, that leaves millions of them out there in public that aren't going to go away. I think the only common sense thing is terrible to say. What is the expendable part of this process? Ammunition. If you get ammunition and you run out of it, you can't shoot anybody. And if we make it harder to get ammunition, you can have all the guns you want. But before you get ammunition for them, you're going to go through some kind of a background check. So your point is we'll keep selling the guns because that'll make good good profit for these small businesses. Let's no. keep selling the guns. But then, well, then what's the point? Well, the point is you can't – what fun is a gun without ammunition? What, how, how much harm can you do with a gun that isn't loaded? 
Let me ask you that. These these weapons were purchased, and they look they have them there. They look very new. They would have been purchased since the um, assault weapons ban was allowed to sunset. And again, Congress, cowards in Congress, never vote on the damn thing, right? They allowed it to sunset because that's the way the law was written 20 years prior, and by not acting on it, it sunsetted. So they didn't even bring it up for debate. They just allowed it to sunset, and that is cowardly. Rather than coming for the American people who elected these people to discuss it and have us voice that maybe in an election, they just quietly let it sunset. And that's cowardly. And that's probably the only way to get the doggone thing through 20 years prior because of a hot-button issue this is. But until this country understands two things, this country has to understand we're going to put the, our, our children above recreational shooting. And protection. And protection, because there's no way, and they'll call, well, we can protect our schools and everything. You can't. And, Joe, I understand there's millions of guns out there, but why, why put a two million more? This this see a young lady who was troubled. I agreed she was troubled, and her parents were concerned about it. If she had bought the guns and hid them, if she hadn't been able to buy the guns, she wouldn't have had them. And what what law would have stopped her? Or you just say nobody should be able to buy? Well, it? well we had the law in effect. We had twenty years where those type of weapons could not be sold in the United States. Well, not really. You, you had a, a law that prevented you from buying a, a sort of an assembled gun that it was already pieced together, but you could buy all the parts if you so chose, and you know anybody that knew anything about guns could put one together for you. Well, there, that doesn't yeah, exactly it, solve the problem. Yeah, that was an it more difficult, right? That was not an assault weapons ban. It was just a, an irritation for people who wanted one. But back <laughs> no, then, I, they I, weren't I, as popular, I, so I, it didn't I, really I, matter. You could buy them that, during that 20-year period. No, not assembled like you can today. So this lady uh, would have had to, if, if okay, let's, let's, let's say this. So if, if the ban was still in place, if Congress had said, no, we're going to, this is a good idea. Overall, deaths have gone down. And did you know that now uh, that's the number one killer of our kids is is uh, gun violence? All right. We got gotcha. you. auto accidents. Eric, we got to hit the road. We'll give you the last word. Anything to add? Actually, we had a caller we yesterday need, who said it's we alcohol. We need to put the, the needs of our children above other things. All right. We and, gotcha. and, and, and to say, like, you know... Okay, that's what I'm going to say. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. My heart's broken. My heart's broken for the people of Tennessee, and it's going to happen here in Pennsylvania. You just wait and see. Well, I think we've already had shootings here. And how many times we're going to break the hearts of of parents and grandparents who love their kids just so we can go out and play around with these these weapons which have no function? How many times? They do have a function, but anyway, we'll let you go. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Eric. All right, we'll hit the break. We've got callers waiting. We've got emails waiting. We will take a break. We will be right back. Join the queue, 570-743-9565. Email us at onthemark at wkok.com. Welcome back to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. Uh, talking common sense changes in gun laws that no, will no, irritate we, we Stan. Keep talking about nothing here. <laughs> that will irritate yeah. Stan. Com- common sense, Mark, would be for every law-abiding citizen to purchase at least one AR and 1,000 rounds of ammunition and 10 30-round magazines to be part of the militia, which is how the Second Amendment is written. That's what it's about. The people 
being able to defend themselves against violence and a tyrannical government. That's why it was established. That's why it is. So, that being said, Eric is wrong. The assault <laughs> weapons ban didn't do anything. The guns were still available in new forms. They just all the, all the assault weapons ban did was change cosmetics. You couldn't have certain. Uh, you couldn't have a flash hider on a AR. You couldn't have a bayonet lug. Which okay, whoop de do. Uh, let's see what is. It? Oh, you had to have ten round magazines. Yeah, but there was millions of rag- magazines already in circulation, so that really did nothing. And I forget what the other things. Well, something was a pistol grip, but they they if other features, a certain number of cosmetic features that you weren't allowed to have. So, do you really think that did anything? Because the gun was exactly the same. Well, Kim from Millersburg emailed us a possible solution. She says a possible solution to consider would be to have mental health providers be able to immediately report any new patient seen for emotional or psychological problems to the National Firearms Background Check database. This would raise a flag and delay a purchase pending further investigation. What do you think of that? Well, then, first of all, their business will plummet. So, Uh, wait a minute, Mark. Nobody will seek help. Business of uh, therapists would plummet because nobody would seek help because they know they're going to get turned into the government for seeking mental health help. Well, <laughs> let's see. The shooter in Tennessee maybe should have been seeking some help. Now, Eric says that trans people aren't insane. I would say, yes, they're not insane, but they do need medical, uh, mental health treatment. Well, she apparently was okay. undergoing that. She was apparently undergoing some form right, of Right, but not treatment. adjudicated, mentally defective. Exactly. But the question is, what was she telling her therapist? Was she angry because <clears throat> supposedly the government was against the trans people? No, what the Tennessee government passed was a law prohibiting doctors from transitioning young kids. Once they reach 18, she was 28, so it wouldn't have applied to her, period. So I do not understand why they're so hell-bent and angry about people wanting kids not to be transitioned. You ruin a kid. You know, you, you take these, you think about it, okay? The kid says, okay, today I'm a, I'm a girl. All right, honey, we'll take you to the doctor and we'll get you treated. And the doctor says, yep, start, start you on the hormone treatments. And, and then, uh, you know, a year down later, okay, let's have surgeries and remove things that don't need to be removed. And then two years later, they changed her mind. Well, the boys are screwed because they can't replace what was removed. The girls are partially screwed over. They can replace some of what was removed, but they're screwed up for life. Well, that's plain and simple. For people who have gone through that, your your description is nothing at all whatsoever, even remotely close to what happens. But Uh, if that's your imagination, that's fine. So I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you're saying it doesn't happen at all? These kids aren't getting these surgeries. I think there's probably have been some young people that have gotten surgeries. It's pretty rare. Do you think any of them should have? Uh, I, th- I think think you have about to, it, Mark. Well, I think what you have to do under these circumstances is look at the case, look at the child, look at the situation, the amount of gender dysphoria, what the parents, what the, what the doctor can do, uh, what the kid wants. Gender Which, dysphoria. That's a mental illness. They need to be treated for it. They may or may not grow out of it, but once they reach 18, then they can make that decision whether they want to permanently alter themselves. But before that, it's just freaking wrong and evil. But that's, you know, it is what it is. We don't, we'll probably never know, although she had a manifesto of why she went into the school, shot up. 
So maybe that'll be released, and we'll have more in-depth look of why she did what she did. Okay. okay. Now, Eric spouted out the, the statistic that more kids are dying by guns than anything else. Well, not exactly. Okay, because the CDC put out the statistics from one year old to 19. Last time I checked, when you turned 18, you're considered an adult. You're not a kid. Okay, from one year old to 17, the major cause of death is still the automobile. Now, I don't want any kids dying by gunfire. Said it in the past, I'll say it now, and I'll say it forever. Okay, no innocent person should die from gunfire. Okay. But the evil scumbags that are out there committing these acts don't give a dang about any law on the book that says you can't go murder anybody, do they? No, I I don't believe they do. You're right. So one more law won't affect the criminals because they don't care. But what one more law will do will further hamper the law-abiding citizens (laughs) to practice their rights. All right, Stan, we will give you one more sentence. Please go right ahead. Well, the people people in Tennessee are going to have a rough time of it. The evil person that did it is dead, and we will wait to see exactly why from her manifesto. Maybe it'll tell the truth. Maybe it'll explain it all. Maybe it won't, but we'll have to wait. Stan, do you want the good news now? Nobody's going to change any gun laws because of this. We're safe. Well... It won't do any good. We right, exactly. Uh, dozens Everybody upon knows dozens it. of laws with mandatory minimums for criminals that use a gun to commit crimes. When they start putting those people in prison for the mandatory minimums, then I'll talk to them. But until then, they can just go pound sand. Got so it, you all have a great day. Yep, Enjoy thank your you, shows. sir. Yep, thank you very much. One uh, of our right. emailers says, Eric touts himself often as a gun owner, yet I remember him being surprised when he thought there was a three-day wait and was told otherwise on the show months back. Gun violence is not the leading cause of children's deaths. The school in Nashville was hardly one of the most secure. The shooter had considered another target but chose the Nashville school for lack of likely opposing threats. And that's part of the news story that we heard yesterday. All right, another listener says, right here in the middle. Any firearm can be used to assault or defend. The operator is the determining factor. And, and that's true. Here. Oh, then, no, you don't have to okay. say that one. Uh, well, it says, hey, Joe, driving you nuts won't take much gas. Love the show today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And then one of our emailers says, I agree with Joe. If you have no ammunition, then you can't use the gun. You can lay a gun on the table and it will not fire. When are they going to start holding people for their own actions, responsible for their own actions? Maybe if they would get these people help, that would work and surprise it starts with the parents knowing the children. Mike, you're on the mark. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love hearing people talk about assault weapon, assault weapon. And I'm thinking to myself, if somebody put a single shot derringer in my face, I'd be looking at a potential assault weapon there in my face. And yeah. it's, a, it's a one-shot pistol. Come on. You know, the, the I don't want to say hysteria, but that, that's pretty much what it is when I hear the people you know, going on about we got to ban guns, we got to ban guns. You know, we should ban fentanyl. Because right now, Philadelphia holds the number one per capita death rate of drug overdoses in this entire country. And I mean, that is a crime. I was just down there. And my son lives in an area, it's, it's mixed, you know. And um, the, the little little boys and girls came running down in the, in the hallway and... Uh, my son opens up the door and he says, anything wrong? He says, no, we're playing manhunt. You know, they were just normal little 
kids, beautiful little kids, and they're they're living in an area that chances are down the road, like every other American kid, they're going to be exposed to uh, drugs and drug dealers and all that. But the probability of it happening to them seems to be much higher than you know here in pretty much idyllic Bloomsburg or anywhere else around here. And no one's crying about, hey, let's secure their borders. Let's do everything we can to stop drugs. They're, all they seem to be uh, ranting about is whatever the latest uh, Democrat left narrative that's on the TV and on all the media. And you know, like you said, Mark, what, what gun laws are going to change? I, I don't know. But generally speaking, when something's done drastically due to one event or a series of events, in the long term, that, that rule really is, is never a good thing for the general population. That's just my opinion. And, and I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm upset, obviously, that what happened down there, but I think you guys just mentioned one of the main things is that school didn't have the protection. The, the perpetrator went and decided, hey, I'm not going to pick a school that's heavily guarded or where I stand a chance of being killed before I get to do what I want to do. I picked a, I picked a target. Uh, what, what, how would they call that a mark? Their mark was that school, and they, they went in and they did what they wanted to do. And they could have done it with a firebomb. They could have done it with a pick or an axe or anything if a gun wasn't available. And and, and the problem, yeah, how, getting rid of all the guns, what's next? That's my question for the people to say we got to get rid of guns. What's next? What do you think's next? <laughs> if we get rid of all well, guns, which, of course, we can't do in the U.S., that we would, we would fully launch into President Trump's civil war at that time. But after that... Uh, you know, individual rights, what you watch, what you see, maybe TV networks, maybe sugary drinks, you never know. <laughs> oh, wait, they're already banned in some yes, areas. Yes, they are being banned. <laughs> in New York, isn't it New York City, you can't buy a, 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 a big giant Slurpee or whatever it is. A mega it? Slurpee. Yeah. Right, a mega Slurpee. Or <laughs> 64 ounces. But who needs 64 ounces of sugar? Hey. That seems high. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's right. I forgot. Anyway, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I, I turned on Newsmax yesterday. Everybody's talking about how it was banned on uh, one of the satellite networks. But oh, now really? it's back. So I, I turned on Newsmax, and they had mentioned, now I actually forgot what, what it was, but it was, it was an amazing statistic that no one is talking about. And to me, whatever that was, it, it obviously was important at the time. But again, nobody seems to care about the things that are affecting our daily lives going wrong. You know, the price of eggs, the price of gas, the price of food, the housing. And and really, the the bottom line to me is the the country is headed in a bad direction. And I think the best thing that could happen right now is if we had gridlock in Washington, and then nothing nothing would get changed and we'd learn to live (laughs) with all the rules and things that we have now and, and you know, hopefully things would get better as far as the economy is going. But, you know, they're talking about the, uh, the debt crisis and, you know, how that could blow a hole. Well, China is playing a big hand in all these things. I, I'm convinced that they are our enemy. You know, they're talking about banning TikTok. And I listened to a, a discussion about that uh, on the radio. Another station had a nice discussion on it. And one of the things they never talked about... Yeah, I did. I, I, I was cheating on you guys. Oh. And uh, <laughs> faithless. They, one of the things they talked about was a, the component that it does to these these TikTok t- 
TikTok, kids are getting so addicted to it, it's actually altering their brain function. Now, they yeah. don't go into details mm-hmm. and, and provide yeah. any proof. Not only altering their brain, but changing their DNA so that their offspring will enjoy slightly altered DNA. Are you serious? Yep. <laughs> oh, that's not that's not totally bizarre that uh, long-term behaviors change your DNA makeup. We know this about trauma and, and mental health uh, crises that come about. So we already know that. But to, to say that it can come long-term changes for future generations from a smartphone, that's the first anybody <laughs> mentioned it. Who did this study? Well, that, go ahead. Who did this study? Uh... Where uh, it was it was just talked about recently, but the fact that our DNA changes when we undergo things and that we pass on traits to to future generations because of our genetics that's not new. No, no, that's survival. You know, that, I mean, that's adapting. You know, adaptation. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. No. Hey, real, you got, you got, do I have one more minute? Yeah, well, less than a okay. minute, but you get the last sentences. Oh, then, then, yeah, no, it'd it take longer than a minute. It actually has <laughs> some levity to it, and I and I want to save it for when I have more time. So, hey, listen, you guys have a great day. Fill that last 30 seconds with your banter, and I'll listen in. Thank right. you. Thank you so much. Joe, how are you doing? I'm hanging in. Uh, all right. That didn't work. <laughs> we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, Me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections? Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6 30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the Mm. mm, Mm. out of auto repair. I gotta gotta do uh, talk about the Sunbury Motor Company, which is a wonderful opportunity for me, and then Joseph's gonna get the last word today. Hyundai Veloster. When I say that, Joe, I know your heart race quickens because you know you're gonna be driving a two liter turbocharged Super Coupe by Hyundai, and they got at least one of them down at the Sunbury Motor Company. Fantastic vehicle, probably 30 miles to the gallon on the highway, maybe 20 during the dead of winter, but fantastic vehicle, economical. You couldn't spend more than four. $40,000 for it if you want it, even if you said yes to every question they ask you. But Hyundai Veloster Sports Car, right? Rear cross-track warning, auto emergency braking, lane-keeping assistance, and lane departure warning. So it's not quite the blue cruise. i got to talk about that. That's a self-driving truck, basically. But the Hyundai Veloster, as the name implies, it's got a lot of velocity. Fantastic. And they're going fast at the Sunbury Motor Company, North 4th Street and Sunbury, and routes 11 and 15. Hummel's Wharf. You need a new Ford, Hyundai, or Kia. Check them out. SunburyMotors.com. Joseph, uh, you go right ahead, please. You got the floor. Yes, thank you. Um, yes, my wife and I, we used to go out walking, and we walked by the Milton High School, and I said to her, look here, I can walk right by the north uh, side of the high school, look in the window, and I'm only probably 10 feet away from the window walking on the sidewalk, and if I wanted to kill people, 
one of these crazies. All you need to do is shoot the wind out and start shooting. It's just crazy. Now, at that school, they had the door locked. <laughs> they had glass. You know, and he, he, this crazy person just shot the glass out and walked in through, you know. Why couldn't they put steel doors on? Okay, there's not that many doorways or entranceways into the school. Put steel doors and have secure locks on them. And also, uh, the lower windows uh, board up or well, but you're, up, you know what I'm saying? You're ignoring one thing, Joseph. Let's say fire rules have to take some precedence over this, too. It's much more likely there might be a fire or smoke or problem in the school. Well, the doors can be opened. If they're steel, they can be opened just as well as glass uh, windows in the doors. But you're you know talking about limiting the number of entrances and exits, too. I mean, the more... If well, you have I'm a school... not saying limit them. I'm saying have a steel door on there that they can't shoot their way in. That'd be very simple. And not only that, if I'm running down a hallway, and these these shootings are in close quarters, if somebody, I have a Browning semi-automatic 12-gauge shotgun, and if I take the plug out, I can load that baby up with buckshot, saw the barrel off, and I would sooner have someone shooting at me with a AR-15 or whatever than with a sawed-off shotgun semi-automatic with buckshot in it. One shot, they're going to get me. Oh, well, that could with be a arranged. single shot from the bullet flying at me, maybe I can dodge that bullet. But you're not going to dodge buckshot, not with a semi-automatic. You know what I'm saying? You need those wrist bracelets Wonder Woman wore. She could deflect yeah, bullets right. off yeah, of That's the way to go. <laughs> and Excellent I'm still point. amazed at what I said yesterday. There was no shooting. There was no children or adults wounded. I cannot understand if she went in there to kill and she had these semi-automatic pistols and rifles and so forth. She could have easily walked in the classroom and sprayed that place, and there would have been some wounded. Uh, you know that. Every... I don't know of one mass shooting where there wasn't wounded, a lot of wounded people. Well, the stories, the stories you know the stories, something's wrong here. The story's coming out now. Apparently, one of the little girls that was shot was trying to turn in the fire alarm to warn the police. But the other kids, a lot of them were locked down. Apparently, the teachers, uh, the principal was one of the first people to confront this woman and got shot and killed for her efforts. But they may have started to lock the building down before she got to them. It was a two-story building. true, yeah. Oh, maybe. All right, we got you. Thank you so much, Thanks, Joseph. Joseph. Take well, care. We can finish the conversation tomorrow. All right, we got two emails and two texts we didn't get time for, so we'll read those tomorrow. We got open phones, no guest tomorrow. So we'll start out with a raucous discussion about the issues of the day, but tomorrow we're going to come up with solutions and fix it once and for all. Okay, we're just going to argue and make it worse. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury.